Let's bow together. Father, we thank You for Your continuous graciousness and provision for us. How You have provided for everything we have needed. And primarily, You provided for our salvation through Your Son, Jesus. You gave Your Son for us. And we thank You and praise You for that. And Father, we thank You that we now can understand Your truth. We can grasp it. You've given us Your Spirit And I pray that as we come to your word this morning, you would help us to not only understand, Lord God, but to then respond in the way that you desire so that you'd be glorified. Lord, thank you for this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are lots of uh, spiritual dangers out there. And you might ask, what do I mean? Um, There's a lot of people in the name of Jesus who have a way for you to follow Jesus, a way for you to uh, uh, obey the Lord, whatever it might be. There are lots of systems out there, lots of uh, people that uh, certainly appear have the appearance of wisdom, uh, religiously speaking. Uh, there are lots of conferences there are lots of things that people go to all the time, and they have binders and binders of uh, of notes from those conferences. And and yet, we find as we know the Lord more, as we walk with Him, that what we need is not the binders of notes. We need Him and His Word. Now, that doesn't mean those notes couldn't be pointing to that, and praise the Lord if they do. But often, we rely on something or a system or whatever it might be, rather than relying on Jesus. And that's specifically, we we are endangered when we are struggling. We're struggling with the flesh, struggling with whatever it might be. Uh, we struggle. It's the good fight of faith. It's a fight to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we've been warned in the Word of God, and we've been looking at it, uh, not to be taken spiritually captive. And we're going to continue this portion today as we continue our study in the book of Colossians. So would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 to 15, and we're continuing our look at how not to be taken spiritually captive. And this will be the last portion where the Apostle Paul gives us the generalities of the bad guys and the specifics concerning what Christ has done, and then moves into later in this chapter the specifics of the bad guys and how we apply that with our understanding within a true relationship with Jesus. So we've been going through the book of Colossians. We know that the Apostle Paul has never been there personally, but uh, he desires to see them. He, he loves them. He's heard from Epaphras, most likely their spiritual father, of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love for the saints. And he's praised God for that. And he's prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will that would produce that worthy walk. And as we've looked at this, we've seen that there were those trying to delude these Colossians with persuasive arguments. There were those trying to, as I've mentioned already, take them captive, uh, spiritually speaking. And there were those who were bringing forth uh, religious uh, ways to follow the Lord, uh, but yet underlying that would be man's wisdom in ways. And Paul will say at the end of the chapter 2, these things are of no value against fleshly indulgence. And so the Apostle Paul begins to hit the false teachers and the bad guys straight on in chapter 1 by pointing 
to the person of Jesus Christ. He is the uh, creator. He is the one through whom God created all things. He is the Lord of the first creation. He is also the Lord of the new creation of the body of Christ, to which he is the head. It is through his blood that we have forgiveness of sins. He is the Lord of all, not only the new creation, but the old creation. He is the Lord of us. And within that, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, sharing these absolute wonderful truths about him that we've been uh, redeemed so that we would be presented holy and blameless. This tremendous reality. And then the Apostle Paul begins to share how the Lord ministered through him, I believe, in chapter 1, in contrast to those bad people in chapter 2. And we learned together what biblical ministry looks like. Uh, we learned that biblical ministers are those that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ has brought forth. Those who God has called and gifted to serve. Not those who have independently chose to, to serve the Lord. It's those that God has brought forth. The Apostle Paul wasn't uh, on his way in his training to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He was on his way to kill Christians and God saved him. said, this is what I'm going to have you do. And Paul was obedient to that by God's grace. So we saw that, that, uh, that uh, biblical ministry consists of those who are truly called by God, those whom God has gifted. Now, we've all been called by God and gifted in different ways. The question would be, are we going to submit in those specific areas and serve him uh, as he's called us? And then we saw that authentic ministry preaches God's message. There's so many messages out there. You might listen to a sermon out there and they'll say, Jesus, 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 but are they really talking about Jesus? Are they just using his name as a little flag line to draw you in to think you are religious and you're following Jesus? Well, we see that biblical ministry proclaims Christ, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And biblical ministry also uses God's method, not man's method. Man, we see man's method everywhere. The, these, who, who, who are these people who think they can decide how to minister to the body of Christ apart from what God has clearly revealed in his word? That's a very serious sin. Very serious evil, by the way. Because Paul says, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man, not just a few, but every man, that we may present every man complete in Christ. And he says, it's for this we labor and strive but not, not, not themselves, but according to his power. And then we saw authentic ministers actually struggle for the body of Christ. They're concerned about the threats to uh, their walk with Jesus. No doubt the Apostle Paul shared that. We saw that he was concerned and he desired to protect them. And that is the portion that we're in right now. Where the Apostle Paul is warning us of those who would attempt to delude us with persuasive arguments those who would attempt to take us spiritually captive. But we should be those who, as we have received Christ, so walk in him. Because in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We need to walk in him and trust in him rather than these slick uh, people. They've got persuasive arguments, by the way. We're going to see that. Don't think it's not persuasive. It's very persuasive. But people can be deceived by that and are deceived and deluded. Yet we're going to see today that we are continually to turn away. We are not to be taken captive because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Because he is the solution to all of our problems. He's the solution to everything. So turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. 
And we are in a big section here. It's, it's, it continues really from the beginning. But I'm going to start reading back in verse 8, and we'll read up to our passage because we've had to break it down for time's sake. But I want you to see the context. Chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. You shouldn't be following Jesus in any other way but but through Jesus. According to Christ, according to what he has said and what he has declared and brought forth and according to him. And then he begins to explain because, or for, we saw that in verse 9, it's because, literally because in Greek, because in him, speaking of Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And now our passage. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. This is a great passage. I mean, this is, there's nothing better than be able to speak on this. This is a tremendous, wonderful portion, and I pray that we can grasp exactly what God intended. I just read this, I say, amen, 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 right? And it's wonderful. So how can we keep from being taken spiritually captive? Well, a little bit of review. But we need to, first of all, resist false teachers. We saw it. See to it that no one takes you captive. We saw, see to it that you don't let someone do this. you got to be on the alert. If you're not on the alert, you're going to get taken captive. Be on the alert. See to it that they don't take you captive. And we saw that it was through philosophy, empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the principles, elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. It's through man's wisdom, uh, packaged religiously. They have, these things have the appearance of wisdom, but they're of no value against fleshly indulgence. It's packaged uh, in a way that appears religious and wise, but it is from man, not from God. And if you buy into it, you're going to get taken captive. You're going to be taken away. The term speaks of being taken as booty. You're going to be taken as someone's booty. Someone's going to have you in their, in, in, in their sphere of having uh, destroyed and, and you and gained from you uh, their elevation, their money, whatever it might be, their, their, their evil things, as we say. Don't be taken booty by uh, evil men. Don't, don't let it happen. Resist false teachers. Resist deceived brethren, right? Resist them. Uh, don't go with it. It's, it's rather than according to Christ. We're going to see that the way we follow Jesus is by trusting in Jesus. The way we follow Jesus is by obeying his word. The way we follow Jesus is by abiding in Jesus. It's not through any other system. It is his word that illumines his will for us. It is his word that enables us to uh, know his will that we might walk in it according to his spirit. 
We are being warned not to be pulled away by the bad guys who use worldly wisdom. And they've got it packaged really well. I mean, if you talk to some of these bad pastors, you know, the guys who have the lights down, you know, and the, and the rock bands in the background, and, you know, it's like, and everybody's going like this, and, you know, it's all emotional. You're talking about why they're, how they're doing everything. Man, they got a really good explanation, and it's very religious. But it is not according to Christ. It is not according to his word. Don't get taken captive. A lot of captives out there. A lot of captives out there. But this is to us. It's not saying see to it that you run around and tell everyone else. See to it that you do not get taken captive. Okay? So first of all, we need to resist them. Secondly, we saw we need to rest in the absolute sufficiency of Jesus Christ. That is the key. And as we'll see, what he has done for us. For or because... In him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. He's God. These other people aren't God. God's wisdom is what we need. We need God. We don't need people saying they follow the Lord with man's wisdom. We need the Lord. He's God in human flesh. And because of that, we're to trust him rather than subtly relying on human philosophies. When you rely on a system set up for you, you are not trusting in the Lord. You are relying on human philosophies and you are taken captive. And then they said uh, that we've been made fully complete. And in him, or literally because in him, you've been made complete. You've been fulfilled in a sense. In Jesus, you have everything you need. When you abide in Jesus and his word abides in you, you have everything you need. We have everything pertaining to life and God through the true knowledge of him. We have his precious and magnificent promises. In him, you've been made complete. It's when we're not abiding in him, we're not complete. And we recognize that. We, we, we fall in and out of fellowship. We know that. But we need to know and understand and see it and then turn and abide in Christ Jesus. In him, through his word, by his spirit, we have everything we need. That's why Christ needs to be proclaimed. That's why he needs to be proclaimed. That's why we need to be admonished and taught that we would be brought, that we brought about complete. Because it's in Christ, through his word. We grow in respect to salvation through the word of God. You were born again through the living and abiding word of God. You heard the gospel. God's spirit convicted you. You responded in faith by God's grace, and you were saved. It was nothing of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And every day it's the same way. Believing what he says, trusting personally in Jesus in every circumstance. That's when we're abiding in him. That's when we're trusting. And the bad guy's got a sneaky way to pull you away from that. Very subtle. And it's got Jesus' name all over it. But it doesn't have his will and his ways in it. So be careful. Don't be taken captive. Because in him we have everything we need. And he's the head and rule over all authority. We'll see this later on. He is over all the demonic sphere because of what he did on the cross. He, he proved triumphant over them. He always was, but he proved victorious over them. And by the way, there's a very spiritual demonic sphere out there. There's, there's all kinds of stuff out there that uh, uh, can pull you astray, pull you away. Um, but Jesus is over that. He's over that. He has, as we'll see today, he has disarmed and triumphed over all of our spiritual enemies in that sense. He's far above them, those, those demons, those fallen, fallen angels. 
And then last time we saw that we're not to be taken captive by evil men packaging religious arguments in the context of man's wisdom because in him, in Jesus, we have complete salvation. We have everything we need. Remember we saw that in him you were also circumcised, verse 11, with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, obviously, I don't have time to review what we saw last time, or we'd have a double sermon, right? This is a lot here, talking about circumcision and all that, and how it really, what it really speaks of here in terms of the circumcision of Christ. So you can go back and listen to that if you haven't heard it. Go back and listen to that. But what we're seeing here is we've seen that we were circumcised by Christ and we were baptized into the body of Christ. We were placed into and all the benefits of his death and resurrection apply to us. Death to sin and life to God applies to us. We're in union with Christ. It's complete. We're good to go. He took off that heart of flesh. He took that out of the way, the stone that was in the way that caused that was that of sin that we couldn't uh, 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 love the Lord God. We couldn't uh, uh, follow him. We couldn't obey him. But he saved us. He redeemed us. We have complete salvation in Jesus. He's removed that hardness of our hearts. We can now love the Lord with our heart, mind, and soul. He's uh, given us his spirit that we can respond to the word. We have hearts that have been circumcised by the circumcision of Christ. Okay? And there's a little implication here to the bad guys. Hey, they were probably saying, you got to do the outward right. That's how you're more godly. And he's saying, hey, you already got it done on the inside. Christ has done the reality, not the symbol. He's done the reality in you. And then we also saw we were united to his work is death on the cross and resurrection to life. We're placed into, baptized into. Therefore, when we abide in Jesus, we can consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. When we rest in him, we are alive to God. When we abide in Christ, when we are resting in that union by faith, we are identified with his work on the cross. So then resist the bad guys. Resist the bad guys and rest in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ he is everything we need. He is, we are complete in him and he has brought a complete salvation. You don't need anything else. You need him. You need him. And if you realize, if you think we need him and his word, then that's what we should be preaching, shouldn't we? That's what we should be teaching because that's what we need. We need Christ and his word. And it's from here, I believe, we need to rejoice then in the results of our salvation tremendous, wonderful realities of what God has done for us. We need to live in the context thinking about what he has done for us because if we don't, we can get taken captive. We get taken captive. Here's our verse, verse 13. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him. There's our first part. You see, we passed from death to life when we believed in Jesus Christ. We received eternal life. We were dead, as we'll see. This is a wonderful verse on the heels of showing how we've been spiritually circumcised through faith in Christ, the hardness of the heart removed, the power of the flesh disarmed through faith in Christ, how we were placed, verse 12, into union with Christ, his dying for our sins and being raised in newness of life. We were co-crucified with Christ. Our old man is dead. We've been raised to newness of life. And here we have the results of this Union, it's a glorious picture of what has been done. 
And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him. Now, the main phrase of this portion is, he made you alive together with him. And it's in a completed tense. It's already done. He's not making you alive. You are alive. And it happened in the past, and it's a done deal. And connected with that is the participial phrase, you were dead. You were continually habitually. It's actually a present tense. In the past, you were continually habitually dead, but he made you alive together with him. Having been dead continually habitually, you were made alive. That's really how it goes. You could translate it this way. And you being continually habitually dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of flesh, he made you alive together with him. Wow. You see, we were in a continual state of being dead, and notice this, in our transgressions. You've got to see what he's talking about. You've got to understand what he means by dead. Okay? And it speaks of our spiritual state before faith in Jesus Christ. You might remember in Genesis, uh, the Lord God made it clear, in the day that Adam and Eve disobeyed, they would surely die. Genesis 2.17. Now, when uh, Eve uh, took the apple or whatever it was, when she ate the fruit off the tree that God said you shouldn't eat, you got everything else, don't eat that from this, this tree. When she ate that, having been fully deceived, and Adam then ate, not being deceived, rebelled, right? Or, or, or when Adam went along with it, okay, and rebelled, you see um, that they died. Now, they didn't fall over physically. They would die physically. That would be a consequence, but they died spiritually, first of all. They were separated from the living God. And you see that by the fact they are afraid and they are fearful and they are running and hiding from God and they are blaming uh, people for their sin. It's the woman you gave me, right? That's why it happened. Blaming others for their own sin. You see, when they sinned, they were separated from God, spiritually speaking. And that's death. That's what death is. When you think of physical death, it is separation of the soul, the spirit from the body. That's physical death. Spiritual death is separation from God because of sin. Romans 5, 12, through one man sin entered into the world and through death sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. You see, sin entered into the world through Adam. But we all voted it in with our own actions. We have a sin nature. And we all sinned personally. We all have died spiritually before coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We gain a picture of this spiritual death concerning what the Lord says to Israel, who thought they were alive. They thought they were alive. They thought they had a relationship with the Lord. But they didn't. They were still in their sins. They hadn't trusted in him as a nation, basically. There were some remnants that were saved, but the majority had not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God says this in Isaiah 59. He says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. Neither is his ear so dull he cannot hear. But your iniquities have made separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Sin separates us from God. From a holy God who cannot look upon sin in that context in approval, cannot be associated with it, and does not sin, and cannot be tempted to sin. You see, we have a sin problem. We inherited it from Adam, and we all voted it in through our own actions. The wages of sin is death. 
All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. And within this, we see man's condition before salvation. Our passage says, And when you were continually habitually dead in in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. The term transgression literally spoke of a falling aside to stumble. It carried the idea of losing one's footing initially. Then it came to speak of a false step or a deviation. You know, if you're supposed to step here, you know when you go to the airport, they go, put your feet on the little yellow things, right? You know, and if you don't put on, you're, you're deviating from that. You're transgressing what's where you're supposed to put your feet. You see? And so here it came to speak of a catch-all phrase in Scripture concerning sin. When we step out of line concerning what is right, holy, or just. We step out of line. We overstep. We understep. We, we, we misstep. Transgression. And that can be in our thoughts or our actions. It is a stepping out of line concerning God's holy and righteous standards. And it is when, that's, when we do so, we transgress. Whether we know them or not. Whether we know them or not. We don't have to know his, his ways, but we step, we all sin. And when we step out of that, uh, out of that, we are sinning. We transgress. And then notice he says, we were all spiritually dead in the context of one's personal transgressions. Your transgressions. Personal. And then notice he says, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now that's referring back to what we saw last time. He's not saying it's because you're Gentiles that you're sinners. He's saying you guys were uncircumcised in the context that you haven't had a changed heart yet. Remember we saw circumcision was an outward symbol of what was to be an inward reality. It was the sign of the covenant with Abraham, which was a covenant of faith, not of works. And so here... He says here, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, hey, you haven't been saved yet by Christ. Remember we saw that we were circumcised with the circumcision of Christ when we were saved. Our hearts were changed. That hardness of heart, that flesh that covered it was taken away. And now we can respond. So then, he says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. You had hardened hearts. You were unable within yourself to understand the truth of God or to come to the God of the truth. Apart from God's intervention, as we will see through the gospel and by his spirit, you were dead. You were dead. You could not come to him on your own. You were dead to God. You were separated. Paul shares this in a slightly more descriptive way. We read it earlier, but let's read it again in Ephesians chapter 2. It's a little parallel passage. Slightly more descriptive way. Ephesians 2, you could turn there. Ephesians 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Gepsi. There you go. Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Right? In which you what? Formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. See, and that's the way you were, Ephesian Gentiles. That's the way you were. And then Paul adds himself, and among them, we too formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. This is the way you lived. This is the way you were. You have the songs, the way you were. Well, this is the way we were, right? This is the way we were. 
We continually habitually walked in sin, which was an evidence we were dead to God. We were dead to him. We were walking in spiritual death. We could do a lot. We could follow our own wills. We could do a lot in our sin, but we couldn't do anything in relationship to God. We were dead to him. We were separated from the living God. We were dead in that context. Oh, you see, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, not even one. The wages of sin is death. And we know that there is eternal punishment of the second death, separation from God forever in the lake of fire. But the incredible reality is this, that ever since and even before the foundation of the world, man, but ever since man sinned in the garden, God had a plan to bring us back into a right relationship with him by bringing salvation. Back in Genesis, after Adam and Eve sinned, uh, God declared that Eve's seed would crush Satan's head, Genesis 3. And through Eve's seed would come one who would defeat Satan in sin and death. Right? In context? We see the gospel preached to Abraham uh, through his seed, one would come then in which all the nations would be blessed. Genesis 12, verse 5. And in the Old Testament law given to Israel, we see the sacrifices which foreshadowed the need of a death to cover sin. And those sacrifices, those lambs that were slain, never brought about forgiveness, but they pointed to... Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, who took on human flesh to die for our sins. In John 1.29, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, who took on human flesh and lived the perfect life. He made him who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, Jesus died in our place. He took the penalty for our sins that God requires. The wages of sin is death. He took the penalty. He took, he, he took God's wrath upon himself for our sins. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. You see, and all he asks of us is to believe in his son Jesus who did this for us. He died for our sins and rose from the dead to call upon him to save you. He indeed is the Savior of the world. And if, you to, if you're to believe in him, you must also recognize you're a sinner. You need to know what you're being saved from. And so we turn to Jesus for salvation from sin. That's repentance and faith. And when we believe in Jesus, we receive a pardon. We receive, as we will see, the forgiveness of sins. Psalm 32, How blessed is those whose transgression have been forgiven whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. You see, God had a plan always to deal with man's fall. And the plan was through his great love to send his son to die for our sins. Indeed, we see in Romans 4.25, he was delivered up because of our, here's our word, transgressions. He went to the cross because we are transgressors. That's why. He was delivered up because of our transgressions. And in a moment, we'll see that all our sins were taken care of, that our sin debt was nailed to the cross. Nailed to the cross. You see, he bore our sins in his body that we might die to sin and live to God. First Peter 2, 24. You see, the good news is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and he rose from the dead. First Corinthians 15. You see, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. So back to our passage. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him. Now some might say this is an independent act that happened uh, when you were a baby. Or some other time. This act happens when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We were born again through the living and abiding word of God. Through the word he brought us forth by the word of his grace. He brought us forth by his word. It's the gospel. How blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation because it reels, reveals a God who died for your sins and rose from the dead and that you need him as your savior. So then, when we were continually, habitually dead in our transgressions and sins, God did something through Christ, through his work on the cross, and he made us alive together with him. And again, we're going to see in a moment that that life came through the forgiveness of all our transgressions, being paid in full on the cross by Jesus Christ. Tremendous. We were dead, but God, through the feet of those who brought good news, brought the truth. His spirit-empowered word, his word which is able to bring about life. God brought about the first creation through his word. Light be and light was. He brought it about, and he brings us about through his word now, through the gospel concerning Jesus Christ. It's through the truth, and his spirit convicts us of sin. So much so that the Lord says, don't harden your hearts if you hear his voice. Don't do it. Respond to the Spirit's conviction of your sin and the truth that's being revealed to you in the gospel. Respond by faith. That's not a work. That's faith. It's believing what God said. Folks, God gives you a moment of clarity, I believe. He allows His Spirit to convict you, and that's the only unforgivable sin, I believe. You blaspheme the Spirit. You, 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 you relegate that to something else rather than God convicting you, and you've got to respond. So then, we have the truth concerning Jesus Christ, and when we believe it, we are forgiven, as we'll see. We are delivered from death to life through the forgiveness of sins. We were dead. We were completely separated because of our sins. We are now alive to God through what Christ has done. We have life, and we know that we will be with him, and we will grow in him more and more for all eternity in a real relationship. Jesus would say in his prayer, this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the one and only true God, John 17, and your son whom thou hast sent. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have life. Turn to, turn to uh, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. It's death or life. Life or death. It's very serious stuff. Romans chapter 5. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm going to go back to verse 17. And I hope you'll be able to understand this as we read it. For if by the transgression of one, in context, that's Adam, that death reigned through the one. Death. Spiritual death and then physical death. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. He brings life. So then, as through the one transgression resulted condemnation to all men, even so through the one act of righteousness, that's speaking of what Jesus did, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of one, that's Jesus Christ, the many are, will be made righteous. 
And the law came in that transgression might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through eternal, through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace reigns to life, eternal life. Tremendous. And folks, because we are in union with Christ, we've been placed into relationship with Him. His death and burial, His death and, and, and resurrection applies to us. We are now dead to sin and alive to God. Turn to Romans. Now you're already there. Turn a little farther up. Romans 6. He talks about the reality that uh, should we continue to sin that grace might abound? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or don't you know something? Don't you know you're, you're baptized? You're placed into a relationship with, with Jesus? Don't you realize that? You're, you're in him. And then verse 4. Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. We're alive. We're alive. We're alive. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified, or literally co-crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. When you rest in Jesus because he died to sin, you died to sin too. You're free. You're free. You're free. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that having been raised from the dead, de- dead is knowing, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death is no longer master over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives... He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You're alive to God. You can go to the living God. You have a relationship with him. Sin is no longer in the way. You're alive to him. And you are dead to sin as you abide in Christ. It's all through Christ. Romans 8, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemning judgment. And notice he says, for the law, or literally the principle, for the principle of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, Romans 1, 2, 8, 2, has set you free from the principle of sin and death. Life in Christ Jesus has set you free from sin and death. Death to life. Isn't it great? It's great. One uh, pastor writes, there are all kinds of gimmicks and systems out there set before us today to enable us to live the Christian life. I know people who have been to Bible conferences where Christian life is taught and go home with Georgeville notebooks. I mentioned that earlier, right? But they're not doing so well in the Christian life. Why not? Because we need to recognize this one important thing that Paul is saying here. We are now joined to the living Christ. And if you're joined to him, my friend, you're going to live as if you are. How close are you to him? Do you walk with him? Do you turn to him for everything in this life? Is he the one who is the very center of your life? I agree with that. And back in Ephesians 2, you can turn there also, we have an allusion to our passage also. After having said we're dead in our trespasses and sins, notice what he says in verse 4. But God being rich, Ephesians, I said Romans, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us, even when you were dead in our, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. How did that happen? By grace you have been saved. It was when you were saved. 
You weren't made alive previously so that you could get saved. You were made alive when you were saved. You were made alive when you were saved. And raised us up with him and seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace towards us in Christ Jesus. Now some of you are the living dead. You're breathing physically, but you're dead. What do I mean? You live for self. You're still in your sins. You're experiencing guilt and, and, and shame and blaming everyone else but yourself. You continue to live in the context of death, you will experience eternal death, the second death. But there's good news. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you've trusted in Christ, you've gone from death to life. You need to remember that. We're not separated from God. We don't need any system to get closer to him. We have Christ. We're not separated. We have life. Praise him. And later on, he's going to make the case in chapter 3 that because of your union with Jesus Christ, you can actually say no to sin because you have life in him. Let me read that. Chapter 3 of Colossians. If then you've been raised with him, if that's the case, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not the things of earth. For you have what? Died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to it. He gives a list of sin. We're alive to God, so we're dead to sin. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So let me ask you this. Are you dead or alive? Life comes through faith in Jesus Christ. You can have it today. Don't forget that. And notice how this happened. Back to our passage. It says in the middle of 13, he made you alive together with him. We're with him. It's it's life because we're in union with Jesus. Having forgiven us all our transgressions. That is a marvelous statement. It's a marvelous statement. It speaks of being a done deal. It's already happened. The tense, having forgiven, it's already done. And how was that done? Remember the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed. He said, this is the blood of the covenant. He was, he was doing a physical, outward, symbolic act of what he would do in the cross. Which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. For forgiveness of sins. What did Paul say in Ephesians 1.7? In him, that's through, through, through the Lord, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the full price for our sins by shedding his blood, and therefore, having paid that price, we have forgiveness of sins. Earlier in Colossians 1.13, For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the paid price, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus died for our sins. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. 1 Peter 2.24 now, there are a couple words in Greek translated forgiveness, and I'll probably hack them up for you Greek people. Um, but uh, the first one is opheomi, which literally means to send away, to send away. Remember where I read what David wrote, where Paul quotes it in Romans 4? Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been sent away, forgiven, whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man the Lord does not take into an account. 
You're blessed if your sins have been sent away. Praise the Lord, mine have been sent away. They're far gone, as we'll see. Praise the Lord. But there's another word translated forgiven also. It's charizomai. And the root word is charis, which means grace. And the word speaks of the act of pardoning in the context of grace, favor, and kindness. And it's translated forgiven. It speaks of treating an offender or a debtor as not guilty in a gracious manner. That's really great. It can be translated freely forgive. Freely forgiving. It emphasizes the gracious gift of forgiveness when this word is being used. And that's the word that we have in our passage, having forgiven all our transgressions. And there's some other passages that God through Paul wants us to hear the same words that we are the same way towards others. How about Ephesians 4.32? You can turn there. Our sins aren't just sent away. They're freely, graciously pardoned in the context of kindness. Ephesians 4.32, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving. That's our word. Freely forgiving in the context of grace and kindness. Freely forgiving, just as God in Christ has also freely forgiven you. Same word. Colossians chapter, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. And for those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and freely forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone. Oh, by the way, I just want to raise your hand. Do you have a complaint against anyone? This is God's answer here. It says here, just as the Lord freely forgave you, freely forgave you, so also should you. You got a complaint? Freely, graciously forgive as Jesus did you. As Jesus did you. So then, we were made alive together with him, having had our sins freely forgiven. He says, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Now, did you notice that word all? What does all mean? It means all, doesn't it? You see, brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus didn't pardon our worst sins, or some of our sins, but he forgave us all of our transgressions. That's marvelous. That's marvelous. And ultimately, our transgressions are against him. He forgave all of them. I mentioned earlier in Romans chapter 4, you know, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven. What about Psalm 103? The writer, David, says in verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. I remember this little card. And when I was growing up as a kid, forgetting not his benefits. Don't forget who pardons all your iniquities. That's great. That's great. Actually, turn there. Turn to Psalm 103. Let's go a little farther down to verse 8. Pardons all your iniquities. Every single one. This is marvelous. This is amazing. Oh, how we should be the same way towards others. Right? Because God has forgiven us. Let it go. Graciously and freely. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. 
He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Isn't that great? You know, if you go north, you'll eventually go south when you cross the the North Pole, right? But if you go east, you'll never go west. If you go west, you will never go east. The, the, The distance between the two is infinite. Our sins are infinitely far away from us. little example there. Isaiah 43, 25. I am, even I am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will remember, I will not remember your sins. Oh, thank you, Lord. Isn't it horrible when people remember your sins? I don't like that. You confess it, they still remember it. Oh, God is so good. God is so good. I will not remember your sins. Micah, verse 7. You can turn to Micah. Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, chapter 7. You see, and this is why we need to go to God. He's the one that brought our forgiveness. He's the one that brought our salvation. He's the one that will bring our sanctification. Go to Jesus. Stop doing it the world's way. Don't get taken captive. You've got a complete, wonderful salvation in Jesus. Micah 7.18 Who is a God like thee who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, thou wilt cast all their sins in the depths of the sea. It's a picture. We were flying over a certain area, and Sturdy likes geography, so he goes right down there. It's 28,000 feet deep. <laughs> like, that's pretty deep. He's cast our sins in the depths of the sea. It's a picture. It's so far gone. All of our sins. All of our sins. When you placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, not for just a, a better life, not just for a Jesus who will fix you up, you believed and understood you were a sinner, rightfully... Deserving God's judgment, you trusted in Jesus Christ. You believed in him. All of your sins were forgiven. Tremendous. When Jesus said in John 19.30, when he's on the cross, it is finished, it's finished. The bad guys make you kind of do little things for God. you got to do stuff. And that's they add to salvation, and they add to sanctification. And it is evil. It is evil. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Freely forgiven. Wow. Now, if this isn't good enough, notice he keeps explaining, and it's pretty awesome. Verse 14, back in Colossians chapter 2. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which were hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, this is speaking to Gentiles in Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. These are Gentiles by and large. And he says this. And so what does he mean? The certificate of debt is a, is a picture. It's a way to see something. It was the handwritten record of charges or debt. You know, let's say you have a charge account at the local store. Everything you buy, they write down. 
and you owe every single thing. You got a rake, you got a piece of candy, you got whatever, it's on there. Every single thing is on there, okay? It's a certificate of debt. And notice he says here, consisting of decrees against us. The term decree means a fixed authoritative decision. When you sin, God makes a decree that that is sin. That what you have done is wrong. It is decreed through his word what you've done is wrong. And they are against us. They're hostile to us. All your sin is hostile to you. Your sin's hostile to you. So then, this certainly relates to the Mosaic law, but really in a wider sense of God's moral law. Speaking of Gentiles again, right? They didn't have the, the Mosaic law. You see, all of our debts to his standards, um, our sin debts, uh, he keeps in a ledger. If you were to mark iniquities who could stand, the implication is you do, apart from forgiveness. Psalm 130. Every transgression and sin, the picture here is that they are being added up and accounted for. Every thought and every single action by a holy, righteous God, a righteous judge. He declares to all men everywhere that they should repent because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world through the man Christ Jesus, having furnished proof by raising him from the dead. There's judgment coming for everything. People say, how can God allow people to do such horrible things to people? First of all, he doesn't approve of it. He's a gracious God, and he is in a time of salvation right now. If he was to act in and judge, there would be many people taken right to judgment. He's gracious, he's patient, not willing for any to perish, but that they would come to repentance. But he is a gracious God who will judge every single word and every single deed. And for his people, even those horrible, evil acts, he turns everyone to good. And so here, the picture is every sin is being added up, and we have a debt. A debt, in a sense. A sin debt. Turn to Romans 2. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the Jews who thought they were above uh, uh, the Gentile pagan sinners the Jews, but hadn't come to Christ, so they were still in their sins. They taught about uh, morality, but they didn't follow it in their hearts. Romans chapter 2, verse 2, And we know the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. And do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things and do the same yourself, you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Well, they didn't respond because they had stubborn, hard hearts. Yes, they're dead to God, but God was acting upon them by his spirit and his grace and his his truth through the prophets, but they didn't respond. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, look at this, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. It's that list. All of your sins, one after another on the list. Certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. This sin requires death. 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 Judgment. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin uh, is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. My friend, no matter how good you think you are, 
If you're not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ through faith in him, you're storing up an eternal sin debt, one after another, to which you will pay for in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever, the second death. Separation in punishment, the wages of sin is death. Separation in punishment forever. You see, every human being stands condemned. There is none righteous, not even one. It is appointed man wants to die, not dying and going into something and seeing lights and coming back and doing a YouTube video, wants to die and then there is the judgment. Wants to die and then the judgment. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, he's saying in the context, not loving the body of Christ and not assembling, meaning something's really wrong with you. If you keep on sinning after knowing the truth of Jesus, something didn't happen. You didn't get saved. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but the certain terrifying expectation of judgment. And later on, verse 23, Hebrews 10, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Serious, serious stuff. Repent now. Lord God, I'm a sinner. I deserve it. I deserve your judgment. I believe your son died for my sins, and I believe in him. Save me, Lord God. Forgive me, and he will. See, God didn't leave us in our sins. Jesus Christ took the cup of God's wrath. He bore God's wrath on the cross. He paid the full penalty for our sins. And when you believe in him, that debt is taken care of by virtue of what Jesus did on the cross. It's as though in a picture form, that list of all your sins was nailed to the cross. And you're forgiven. Oh, how wonderful that is. He says here, and he has taken it away. The term, first for, or first 14, having canceled, the thing speaks of being blotted out, obliterated is really a good translation. He obliterated that certificate of death. All your transgressions that you were pay forever in the lake of fire, obliterated. He says there, he has taken it out of the way. That's the same word that God used and shared through, uh, through John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Takes it away. Having nailed it to the cross. Yes, we look back at the cross and we praise God for it. Yes, we look back at what Jesus has done. We praise him every day. We praise him for what he's done. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. God's wrath was poured out upon him. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 First Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. Isaiah 53.4 Surely our griefs he himself bore and he carried our sorrows yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. All of us like sheep have gone astray, but each of and each has turned his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. As the result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. He says, my servant will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Praise the Lord. It's nailed to the cross. It's obliterated. It's obliterated. We have a great salvation. And it came completely through Jesus. Don't you dare trust in anything other than him. Trust in him, your great God who died for you. 
and rose from the dead. Let me ask you this. Are you bearing your sins and moving forward to judgment? Or has Christ borne your sins? Reminds me of a song. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Obliterated. Obliterated. Brother and sister, don't get taken captive from these bad guys rather than according to Christ. Praise God for what he's done in Jesus. Now notice we finish up here with the end of verse, or with verse 15. And I'll read the end of verse 10 and then we'll look at 15 and finish up here. And he is the head over all rule and authority. Verse 15, and when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made public display over them, having triumphed over them through him. Not only did he defeat sin and death, he defeated Satan. He defeated Satan. Everything we need came through Jesus. Everything we need now comes through Jesus. Not through some slick packaging with Jesus' name all over it. It's through him, through his word, by his spirit, that we grow in the grace and knowledge of him. It says, when he disarmed the rulers and authorities, the term disarmed here speaks of stripping off, uh, speaks of the idea of a military tearing off the garments and the weapons of their opponents. They have, they have surrendered, they have been defeated, and he takes their weapons off and throws them in that pile. You see those pictures of World War II where they're pulling their weapons off the, the people who have been defeated. They're disarmed. This picture is of a great military victory. And it says he made public display of them. You see, on the cross, they were publicly defeated. Jesus made a public display of all Satan and his demons by defeating them on the cross. This word, having triumphed over them through him, the term triumph, it's only used twice in Scripture. It's a word, triumph, that's used in 2 Corinthians 2.14. Thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ Jesus. It's a word that spoke literally of leading a triumphal victory military procession. That's what it is. Which humiliates the defeated and assures their complete punishment, which would be death. You see, God publicly on the cross defeated Satan and his cohorts of death. He did. He defeated them, whose weapon was sin and the result death. They've been disarmed, rendered powerless. Uh, we see that in Hebrews chapter 2, 14. Since then the children share in flesh and blood. He also part likewise partake of the same, that through death he might render impotent. That's what the word is. Him who had the power of death, that is the devil. They've been disarmed. They're defeated. They're defeated. 1 Corinthians 15:55. Death, oh, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. We're eating breakfast over at a little lake over here, and the people had on their shirt, thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Praise the Lord. We're not allowed, to, false teachers, to take us captive through demonic earthly wisdom Because Christ is far above them. He's defeated them. See, Christ has defeated our enemies, and he has brought about forgiveness of sin 
and life from death. He is everything you need. Don't get taken captive by those who package worldly wisdom religiously rather than according to Christ. Pretty great discourse on why we should be trusting him. So then, we need to rest in the sufficiency of Christ as we resist them, false teachers, and we need to rejoice in our great salvation. Rejoice. Some of you are enslaved. You have uncircumcised hearts. You're not saved. You're not forgiven. You're dead to God. You're one breath away from God's terrifying judgment. Repent and receive forgiveness today. Call upon Jesus. Some of you have been enslaved by teachings. You've been, you've been vulnerable. You've not focused on the truths that we've seen today. And you, you've looked for help within Christian teaching that's not based on the continual proclamation of the Word of God. Repent, confess, be set free. Let me ask you all, do you believe Christ is all you need? He is. And in him we have a tremendous salvation. Our sins have been obliterated. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. You are so great. And we praise you for what you have done through your son Jesus Christ. We praise you for the forgiveness of sins. We praise you that all of our transgressions have been freely, graciously, kindly forgiven through what your son did on the cross. I pray for anyone here or anyone listening who is still in their sins, may they not reject your loving, gracious, merciful offer of forgiveness of all their sins. May they believe that Jesus Christ took on human flesh and he died for their sins and rose from the dead. May they call upon the Lord to be saved. And Father, for those of us who are saved, may we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus through his word, not through phony baloney stuff brought by men who want to deceive. May we allow your word to dwell richly in us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.